Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 15 through uh, 23 today. And if you weren't with us last week, we started a new series entitled Jesus at the Center. So Jesus at the Center. And the reason we're doing this through Colossians is one of the central themes is, or the main central theme is that uh, the centrality of Jesus. And the reason we're looking at this is because in our world today, there's so many different things that at us, many different uh, beliefs and uh, waves of reason, and, and we're overwhelmed by a lot of this. There's anxiety and depression, and we're feeling everything. And the reality is I want us to come back to the space where we center our lives on Jesus, center our lives on him, and let him be who drives us in everything we do and say. So Colossians chapter 1, if you missed the sermon from last week, make sure to go back and listen to that as it'll give you a lot of information and kind of give you a roadmap through our uh, book of the Bible that we're walking through. From Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, if you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet. You know how we do if you're able. And once you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on, hi, my name is Jesus. Hi, my name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for a space to Thank you for you just being good. God, we do ask right now as I do every week, is that you would hide me behind your cross so that you may be lifted up in this place. Father, have your, have your way. Decrease me so that you may increase. We need a word from you, not from me, but from you. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. You can be seated.
Well, in 1999, there was a song that was released that I hesitate to mention because of some of the provocative nature of some of the lyrics of the song. But I'm going to say it anyway. It goes a little something like this. Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is... Don't act like y'all didn't know that. Come on now. Everybody whispering. Slim Shady. We know that song by Eminem. We all know the song, and if you're somewhat familiar with hip-hop, you know it. This song by Eminem gave him his first Grammy. It was ranked 26 by VH1 for one of the best songs of the 90s. Magazine named Magazine Q ranked this song as the sixth best song of all time. It peaked top charts, not only here in America, but on top charts across the world, including Iceland, New Zealand, Norway, Ireland, and the UK. And lastly, Rolling Stone named it number 39 of the top hip-hop songs of all time. The point is that we remember this song, and some of us in here, if I were to play this song, y'all would unashamedly, 23 years later, sing every lyric in this song. Yes, I said 23 years. Some of y'all old. <laughs> the song made us remember and know who Eminem was, a.k.a. Slim Shady. And see, I love hip-hop. Anybody love hip-hop? You can say that. It's okay. I, I love hip-hop. But there's one thing about hip-hop that is that you, you always, you can kind of easily remember the lyrics. And one rapper, I was talking to him one day, and I'll spare his name, but he told me, he said, you know why people can remember the lyrics of a rap song very easily? He said it's because of the, the, the beat that's underneath the lyrics. It's the, that rhythmic beat. It kind of taps into the heartbeat that's beating in your chest. So, in essence, as the song is playing, you can't help but to mm, just bob your head to the music. And see, that becomes problematic because as you're bobbing your head and you're vibing to the music, unbeknownst to you, you start singing a song and you start repeating lyrics and you don't have any idea what you're saying. Becomes problematic. And hear me, my problem is not with hip-hop. I love hip-hop music, so don't hear me bashing hip-hop. It's not that we can memorize the song. I, I, I'll say it again. I love music, but my problem is that we can so easily memorize a whole song that literally does nothing to lift up our souls, but yet... We fail to be able to recite one Bible verse. Again, my problem is not the music itself. The issue is that we can remember the name of Slim Shady, but we can't remember the name Jesus. We remember all types of different things in our lives that do nothing for our well-being, but when it comes to Jesus and what he has done for us, somehow we begin to have amnesia, or we just simply don't care. 
And hear me, I, I understand. I understand we, we mess up sometimes and we forget to read our Bible and, and we don't pray as much as we would like to. I, I hear that. But what I don't get is not being interested in someone who gave their life for you. Now, my friend, I know you may be here and say, well, that, that, that's just a claim. It, 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 it may not even really be true. Let's just say it's a claim. Even if it's just a claim, someone who says or claimed or gave their life for you is worth looking into. The problem, as I said last week, is that Jesus hasn't been central in our lives or society, so... We either forget him or we just don't even deem him necessary. Hear me, hear this. What or who you center your heart on dictates your well-being. What is your heart centered on? What's your heart centered on this morning? Today, as we walk through this passage, Paul, he's essentially trying to introduce or reintroduce Jesus so that the Colossian church can remain strong. They can stay hopeful and steadfast in Christ. So to riff off of Eminem, Paul's essentially saying, hi, my name is who? My name is what? My name is Chicka Chicka Jesus. He's trying to introduce us to Jesus. So I got three points and I'm out your way. Number one, Christ is supreme over creation. Number two, Christ is supreme over the church. Number three, Christ being supreme keeps the believer going. Christ is supreme over creation. Christ is supreme over the church. Christ being supreme keeps the believer going. If you don't have your notes out, go ahead and get it. We got a lot to work through. So I'm going to give you a bit of background as we get into the text and and just in case you weren't here last week, or just a reminder for you all, this book is said to be written by Paul. Paul and Timothy. Timothy is probably serving as somewhat of a secretary to Paul right now because Paul is locked inside a prison cell. So this is written around 62 AD in Rome, and Epaphras is mentioned in chapter 1. He's probably there with Paul, and he's letting him know about what's going on in the Colossian church. And he's saying that there's some new theology and things that are popping up that's causing the church to stray away from their foundation in Christ. So Paul's like, wait a second, wait a second. He grabs his pen and his pad, and he starts writing down or telling Timothy what to write. And he says all these things because he wants them to stay firm in the faith and continue to grow in maturity in Christ. Again, I, I said it earlier, the one predominant or dominant theme that flows throughout the book of Colossians is the centrality of Christ. Some theologians would say that there is no other epistle that is as Christocentric as this one or Christ-centered as this one, which begs the question, why in the world would Paul write such a book to this church? Well, during the time of Colossae, and I want you to think about America, there were so many different types of theology and things that were coming into their midst. And we don't know exactly what the theology was, but it says that there were false teachers from all different walks coming in. And some would argue, scholars have argued for centuries on whether this was Gnosticism, which teaches that everything was made by an inferior God and everything in the material world is inherently evil. 
or some people would say this is Jewish mysticism, or others would say that somebody's just running around saying they're Jesus, and instead of pointing people to Jesus, we don't know what it is, but what we do know is that there was false theology that was coming and running rampant throughout Colossae. So Paul, just like any father would do, or church father for that matter, sees the tension arising, he sees the problem coming, and he's in and he says, oh, no, 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 let me correct this. Let me set the record straight. And so he feels burdened to step in and let them know about who Jesus is, because even more concerning to him, if he doesn't, the implication of these new teachings will undermine or remove the church from its solid foundation in Christ. So Paul steps in and he, he affirms the centrality of Christ in both doctrine and practice. See, Paul makes the understanding of who Jesus is being central to the Christian faith very clear through chapters one and chapter two, and then he moves to chapter three and he talks about how this works out practically in your life. Paul is basically saying, listen, church, don't get it twisted. Jesus is still supreme in heaven and on earth. In what you can see, and in the invisible realm. Don't get it twisted. Christ is supreme. Which brings us to our first point. Christ is supreme over all creation. Y'all hear me. Uh, stick with me. I promise if I'm not already in your neighborhood, we'll be there in just a second. Verse 15, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. I love that. Let me say it again. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Paul says... Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, follow me. This word image here in our text, in the original language, would have been pronounced akon. Everybody say akon. It's not the rapper. It's akon. Now, this is where we get our word icon. And this word would have given off two different types of nuances, both present and relevant here in our text, but one tends to dominate or trump the other one. The first meaning would have been that of a representation, say representation, which more so points to the image representing and symbolizing that which it's picturing. This is kind of like a reflection in the mirror where you're seeing yourself. I know y'all know what I'm talking about because I've seen your Instagram, y'all taking pictures in front of the mirror. So you, 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 I know I'm in somebody's neighborhood, come on. It's seeing yourself in the mirror. You see your reflection. That's what Paul is getting here. Essentially, he's saying that Jesus is exactly symbolized or exactly symbolized or represented God. Now, the second meaning of image was manifestation. Say manifestation. This gives off the notion of being more than a symbol. This means that the symbol brought with it the actual presence of the object. So as some scholars would say, Jesus was the visible expression of God. So for all of me, when you put all of this together, what Paul is getting at is that he's saying that Jesus brought God into the human sphere of understanding. We see this said also of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Or if you flip to John chapter 1, verse 18, it states that 
Jesus has made God known to man. Now, this is important because when you walk through the Old Testament, just a cursory reading of the Old Testament, you could see that man, me or you, if we saw God with our eyes, it says that we would die because we could not actually comprehend or take in the full magnificence of God himself. But here when you read the text, it says that Jesus has made known God, has made God known to man. People have actually seen him. See, friends, Paul is using such strong language because he's simply trying to set the record straight. He, he's saying in the midst of all this theological dysfunction that's going on in Colossae, don't get it twisted. There is none like Jesus. He is God. He is supreme. He's Lord. But wait, there's more. He then says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was the firstborn in the flesh. What Paul is saying is that Jesus has the rights and the privileges of a firstborn child. If you go back to antiquity and even in today's times in certain places, the firstborn literally would be the one to take over the family and the, the legacy. They would carry on the family name. But when you read this text, it's a bit more to it than that with Jesus See, this word, firstborn, means to bring forth. Can y'all say that, bring forth? It means to bring forth. So in relation to creation, Paul is saying that Jesus is God. He's the ruler as firstborn, and he's the creator or the one that brings forth all things, and nothing has been made without him. Again, he's saying, don't get it twisted. Jesus ain't like all them other dudes and things that you're believing in. There's only one Creator, there's only one Lord. And Paul keeps going and he says in verse 16, and he says, everything that has been made came from Jesus, whether on, in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or other authorities, all things were created for him and by him. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him and without him, nothing that was made has been made. Everything was created to give him praise and honor. Watch this, which means there ain't nothing in your life that he can't handle because he's Lord over it all. But I know I only got five amens because y'all still, y'all missing this thing. Verse 17, Paul knew we'd miss it, so he keeps going. He says, he's before all things. He says he holds it all together. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. So not only did Jesus create all things, but he holds it all together. He is supreme and all creation responds to him. Now, by this point, I would imagine that there, there's at least one person or some of you in this room that are asking, well, I hear you, uh, but why is all this important? I'm glad you asked. This is important because in Paul's day, as he would be writing in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, but really also it correlates to our day too, we've tended to worship the created thing or the person more than the creator himself. Y'all missed that. Our, our hearts are idol-making factories that make the good gifts that are given to us from God, ultimate in our life, thereby replacing God in our affections. Y'all, an idol can be anything. 
We can make our jobs idols, people idols, our kids, finances, our pets, trees. Some of y'all hug trees. I get it. I don't, but yes. We can make anything an idol. We take the great things that God gives and we make them ultimate in our lives. Therefore, we begin to worship them. People or things, we just start worshiping them. And friends, hear me, no created image, including ourselves, is worthy of worship. We're just too small. But what happens is we tend to fill our lives over and over again with the same stuff over and over again because it never satisfies. We got to get more of this and more of that. And we keep filling our lives over and over again until that thing or that person fails us and we have nowhere else to turn and we're down and out. And we come to this hopefully humble place where we say, Jesus, I need you. Or we remain going on a downward spiral into more and more toxicity. Pastor in New York, Tim Keller, he, he would say it this way. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. But if we're honest, and I step into your kitchen a little bit, the problem is many times knowing Jesus is the exact representation of God who is creator of all things and rules over all things is not enough. For some of us, if we're really honest this morning, that, that, that still feels a little far out. It, it still makes Jesus very distant from me. It, it still feels like it, it's not personal enough. And I, I believe Paul knew we would still be stuck there, so he keeps going in the text, and he moves on to verse 18, and he says, and he is the body, he's the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, as Paul continues, the question becomes, what is Paul talking about here in the text? And some of you may have picked up on it, but Paul, when he says church or when he says body, he's talking about the church. We know this not only by reading this passage, but we know this if you flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he does it again. He talks about the members of the, the body. He's talking about the church as members of the body. So therefore, he's using this body reference again. But hear me, we cannot miss What's truly going on in this passage? Because the emphasis here in the passage is not on the body, but on the head of the body. Y'all missing this. Once again, Paul is pointing us to the supremacy of Christ. But this time, he's specifically pointing us to his authority over the church. He says he's the beginning. And if we don't read this correctly, we'll read this as if we, he's speaking again about Jesus being before all things and creating all things. But here, while that stands true, he's talking about this beginning pointing to the words that follow where it says he's the firstborn 
from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. We're preaching the text, y'all. Paul here is stressing the significance of Christ's resurrection. The resurrection didn't just represent him rising from the dead, coming back to life where he just simply came back to life. No, but in doing so, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death. He rose from the grave. This, therefore, watch this, makes him preeminent. It makes him first. It makes him superior over everything, which means that all that follow him, he's superior over them, the church, which points back to him saying here in the text, Paul saying that he's the head of the body, the church. There was none before him. And there's none that are coming after Jesus that could have done what he's done. He's the only one that could defeat Satan, sin, and death. God in the flesh, no sin, no blemishes at all. He's perfect, but the question still remains, I'm pretty sure, why is this significant? Paul answers this for us in verses 19 through 20. He, stick with me. I, I promise I'm coming to your neighbor. He says, he says, for in him all the fullness of God dwelled. Or in other words, all that God is was pleased to dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, whether here on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says again that Jesus is God. But not only that, through him, all things are reconciled to God. Mike, now here's where we come in. This means for the believer that you live in this present reality of salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. And one day you will be freed from this world, truly reconciled with God, united with God. No blemishes, none of that stuff. But for the non-believer, this means that if you're breathing... Although not a believer right now, you're still living under the common grace of God. As in Jesus still rules over all and one day every knee will bow before him where he judges the world. And all those who don't believe in him will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. This is Bible. This is where revelations would speak of a new heaven and a new earth. This means that the act of rebellion of this world and people will one day be defeated and the world as it is today, whether it be the, the seen reality of evil or the unseen reality of evil that exists in our hearts and in our minds, it will be no more. Christ is the head of the body and the Lord over creation. Now, I only got five amens because for some of us, this sounds problematic. This is hard to to take in and digest, especially in our do-what-you-feel type of world. You can have it your way. Do what you like doing. It's up to you. Because it may seem when I talk about this, some of y'all shivered and don't like to hear the word hell. It may seem like... Jesus is just some ruler without compassion for people. But it's actually the direct opposite. He's done all that he's done so that people don't have to go through what he's already done. Believers, hear me, don't have to be ridiculed, at least not the way Christ was. 
They, they don't have to be beat to a pulp, pulp with cat and nine tails, ripping the flesh off their back. They, uh, hear me. We, we don't have to take on everyone's wrongdoing and their sin. And we, we don't have to be crucified on a cross where we bleed out with nails in our hands and nails in our feet and then go to the grave and sit there for three days and rise from the dead. No, no, no. We don't have to do that. And for the person who hasn't believed, hear me, instead of being annihilated or wiped out, as Romans 6.23 would tell us, for the wages of sin is death. Y'all hear me, we deserve death. Someone had to die because of our unwillingness to accept the goodness of God, to accept his grace and mercy. We, we didn't believe because of our defiance. We deserve to die. But watch this. Even if you haven't believed... You're still alive, breathing today because you're living under the common grace of God. Now you tell me what's unfair or lacking compassion about that. Let me think about it. Is it that he died? No, I mean, that, that, he took it all on himself, so it can't be that. It, it, is it that he reconciled everyone to himself so we could be in heaven for him, with him forever if we believe? No, that, that, that's good news. Is it that he conquered death so we didn't have to die? No, that's good news too. See, sometimes I think we undervalue how pivotal the cross is in our lives. We undervalue what Jesus has done. We undervalue how pivotal the cross has been throughout the course of human history, not just for us, but throughout all of human history. Listen, the head of the body means that he not only has led the way and made a way, but he has done so because he cared for all of those who follow. He cared for his creation and has led the way to reconciliation, but we fail to make him central. We undervalue our need for him. We don't recognize his sacrifice. Let me see if I can make this a bit more clear. And when I say this, I'm not telling you this to make it seem like Kaylee and I, we got it all together and we're the best thing since sliced bread. But y'all know we have five kids and, and uh, there are things and choices that we make right now that are not necessarily for our benefit, but they're for the benefit of our kids. There are things that we pay for or we buy that are not for our benefit. In fact, we have to sacrifice some things for their benefit. Follow me with this. For instance, I don't really need a life insurance policy for myself, for me. I have a life insurance policy so that if something happens to me, God forbid, my wife and my kids are care of all of their needs and more are taken care of if something were to happen to me so the sacrifice is that I get my paycheck every month and something has to come out of that paycheck towards this term life insurance policy that I really don't need but it's a sacrifice okay let me give you another one I, I, I want all of my kids to go to college got five of them so we have a 529 account for each one of them, which is a savings account for them to get into college. And so I'm trying to help them. We're trying to help them pay for college. Now, I don't have to do anything for them financially. They could just struggle through college and, and figure out how to pay it back. Like many of us, we're trying to figure out how to pay Sally Mac 
back, back to today. Y'all got Sally Mae here, right? We, we, we trying to figure it out. Y'all can be honest. Loans ain't, it's no joke. But instead, my wife and I are trying to set them up. So we're making sacrifices and putting things in place to help them travel on the road towards success and hopefully financial freedom. But see, the thing is, in all of that and even more, all that we have done for our kids means that we've had to forfeit or sacrifice some luxuries that we want, like traveling the world or buying all the things that we want to buy. You know, we, we, we can't do all of that stuff because we want to make sure that our kids benefit. Y'all follow me? We've made some sacrifices that they honestly probably don't even value right now. Don't think twice about it. In fact, probably hate that we can't spend money on other things. But it's a sacrifice that seemingly goes undervalued, but hopefully will set them up in the future. Now, these are just a couple examples. And my sacrifices, don't miss this, don't come close to what Christ has done for all of us. He's not only supreme over the body, but he sacrificed the plushness of the heavenly realms to come down to earth. And he died for sins that he didn't commit, but we committed in, in order to make a way back to God. He did this so we can be reconciled through our belief to God. Christ, hear me, is the head of the body. But as great as that sounds, I know I got a golf clap again because I imagine there's some of you in here with this lingering thought. I hear you, Pastor D, but why is this all important? I heard the gospel message before. I, I get that Jesus died for me, but, but, but I, I, I'm still looking for it. You, why is this important? What, what are you really trying to get at? I'm glad y'all follow me. Hear me, hear me. Paul rose through all of this in these verses that we're walking through to remind us. Don't miss this. He, he wants to remind us of who Jesus is. Because when you look at the state of the Colossian church and all that I've explained throughout the last couple weeks, they have simply forgotten and they're beginning to believe something else where they're now drifting along. So they needed to be reminded of who Jesus is. See, the church has drifted from the solid foundation of their Christian belief where Jesus is central in their lives, and now they've been tossed to and fro by every new political ideology that's coming their way, new reason, new theology, news, people claiming that they're Jesus and they're not, or this belief is the right way. And if you have been seemingly somewhat awake during this pandemic, then the state of the Colossian church should seem or sound eerily similar. The church today has simply forgotten about Jesus or trusted in other things. Because if some of us are honest in this room right now and we're looking out at the world today, I'm pretty sure in the back of your mind you're like, well, 
if all of this is true about Jesus and, and he's the Lord of all creation and he's, the, he's supreme over the church and he's been there since the beginning of time and all of this and that, if that's true, then why in the world is our society so messed up? Why are there so many problems? Why is there so much sin? I believe we've forgotten. We've been duped or bamboozled, as some would say. And when I say we, I'm talking about the capital C church. We've been tossed to and fro because of how we feel or what the media said. And not only has the foundation of the Christian church been rocked, where now we preach more about health and wealth and prosperity and blessings and your riches more than Jesus himself or the text. But even more problematic, what's happening is that the true biblical witness in America is almost non-existent. Or maybe... For some, it's just we've been simply overwhelmed with the racism, the corruption, the hatred that's going on, et cetera, on down the line to the point where we said that there's no way all of this God stuff can be real. This week, I was playing basketball. I go play ball two or three times a week. I try to as long as my ankles hold up, Jay, you know, try to get out there. I was hoping, and um, they know that I'm a pastor. I don't preach to them, but they all know I'm a pastor now. And one of the guys, he came up to me, and he's like, D, you believe all this Jesus stuff? And I'm just listening to him. You believe all this Jesus stuff? Jesus walked on water, this and that. He did all of these things. And before I could get anything out, he said, if that's true, then why is this world so messed up? And I want to answer, and before I said anything else, he said, this world is so, Jesus can't be real. Friends, hear me. The corruption and the mess in the world hasn't been caused by Jesus. But humans, our rebellion against the goodness of God that's what's causing this. I mean, when you think back to the garden when Adam was there with, with, with God, he didn't have a care in the world. My boy was naked, just running around, didn't care. You can't do that today. He had everything he needed. He didn't have a want that wasn't met. Sadly, the reason so many of us are questioning the faith is because the true biblical witness has faded, and I have to say biblical because everything that's so-called Christian ain't Christian. Amen. The true biblical Christian witness is fading in the world, which now causes the question like, how in the world is this happening? Why are people believing? It goes back to what's your foundation look like? Many of us have forgotten or we never knew what being saved or part of a church was in the first place because when we entered the faith or gave our lives to Jesus, it was more about us having some type of experience instead of a conversion. 
We trusted the word of a person instead of the written word of God. And now we have a shallow faith to where when that person that we trusted in fails us or does something wrong, we're like, I don't want nothing to do with the church anymore. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I was in Miami this week with um, leaders from all over the country, pastors from all over the country, and uh, we started talking about pastors failing and falling and moral failure and not standing up against injustice and spaces where I, I think pastors have kind of gotten it wrong throughout the years, not just the last few years, but just years before this. And the thing that disturbs me, and it really should disturb all of us, is that there's a mass exodus from churches or the faith because of the pastor's mess up. Listen, no pastor is Jesus. Let me say it again. No pastor is Jesus. I'm human. Pastor Steve is human. Anybody you see up on this stage is still human. We're just like you and we mess up. Which, hear me, that's not excusing our sin or our mess. It's just reality. We're human. So hear me, hear me. Your faith should never be so wrapped up in another person to where when they fall, you walk away from Jesus. Y'all can clap. It's okay. Friends, the true biblical witness is fading in a time that it's needed the most. The Bible tells us, and we don't like thinking this way, but the reality is the Bible tells us that the world's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Brothers will hate brothers. There will be more wars to come. Corruption will continue to happen on this side of heaven. So Paul, just like with the Colossian church, needs to remind you and me that in these last few verses, he's saying, look, 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 let me tell you what salvation means today for the here and now. I need to remind you. So Paul, I love it. He starts to flip the tables. He turns the tables a little bit, and he starts talking specifically about Jesus. And he, he says, I'm going to talk to the church a bit. I know it's tough out here, but let me, let me remind you of who Jesus is. I want to I remind you and tell you why all that I've been walking through is important. So look at it with me in chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has now been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, or in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul, in short, says, Church, don't forget that you were once lost. Don't forget that you were alienated from God, destined for hell, hostile in your mind, meaning you didn't want the things of God. You didn't even want to hear the things of God. And, and the reason that many of us may be struggling today is because we still exist in the flesh. It's a constant battle. 
So Paul says, because this was true and this is true and there was nothing you could do to reconcile the relationship between you and God, Christ had to die. But not only that, he, he did so that when you believe, in the midst, even in the midst of your mess that you sit in right now, he can still present you blameless and intercede on your behalf and, and say that they're still above reproach. And, and instead of disgraceful before God, he, he, he's, he's still blanketing you in the grace of himself and saying, and, and so when God looks at you, don't miss this. He, he's, saying, he's saying, I'm well done, well done, my faithful and good servant. He's saying, well done, my son and daughter, not based off of what you do, but based off of what Jesus did on the cross. That's what this means. So he says, keep on going. Not on the merit of your strength or what you know, but based off of what Jesus has done, remember who he is. Paul ends and he says, I love it, just to reiterate, he says, indeed, if you continue in the faith, I like that, if you, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, friends, he doesn't say this doubting their faith. No, no, this is Paul saying, this is why I walked through all of this. This is why I told you all about who Jesus is. Because you can only continue steadfast in your faith if you know who Jesus is. So as in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus gives the parable of the, the wise man who builds his house on the rock, and he says there's another man that's foolish, and he builds his house on the sand, Paul is essentially saying to the Colossian church, and to us, Renewal Church. Build your faith on the solid rock of Christ instead of the sand of this world and the flesh and Satan. Build your house on Jesus. Friends, knowing the truth about Jesus not only has the power to save us, he, he not only has the power to save, but he has the power to keep us. If we're honest this morning, there's some of us that needed that intro to Jesus. But there's some of us in here that needed that re-intro to Jesus. We needed to be reminded. Let's fight to keep Jesus central. But in order to do that, we got to be honest with where we are right now. For some of us, that may mean accepting him for the first time. Jesus, I give you my life, Lord and Savior, I believe in you. For some of us, that may mean being consistent in reading our Bible, coming to church on Sundays, being in a group on a weekly basis. For some of us, that means recognizing, acknowledging the mess that's in our life, the stuff that we've been overindulging in, stuff, places and things that we know we have no business doing, and turning from that and turning back to Jesus who's just and righteous to forgive us, as the word says. Standing there with open arms saying, come home. Come on back. Family, we have to fight to keep Jesus central. This does not happen naturally. 
Because just like with the Colossian church, there's a host of other things out here in this world outside of those doors. Even now, your mind probably has been floating 15,000 different places while I've been preaching. We've got to fight to keep Jesus central because there's so many things competing against him in our lives. Friends, remember who Jesus is. That he's supreme over creation. He's supreme over the body of the church. And his supremacy is what keeps the believer going. Keep him central, family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for you. Thank you for your goodness, God. God, we do thank you that even when we get off, which is daily, every hour, it's a space where we find ourselves in. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for allowing the world word to be as present and active and living today as it was when it first was written. God, I pray that we would make our home you, Jesus. I pray for the person that may be accepting you for the first time, maybe thought they were saved, and now they're accepting you, saying, Jesus, I'm here. I pray that you would enter their hearts and fill them with your spirit. Take their faith and their life to new heights and things that they can never imagine. God, I pray for the person that's in here that's got off track, that knows you, Lord, but they've been off. Lord, I pray that they would know that they're still loved. They'd run back to you, knowing that you're the only place for true satisfaction, love, joy, and peace. God, let us fight to keep you central. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray all these things. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.